Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. faced with raging rapids in the river of our lives. Irene O'Garden grew up in what looked like a perfect American Midwestern family. Behind closed doors, though, it was anything but perfect. In her new book, Risking the Rapids, How My Wilderness Adventure Healed My Childhood, Irene shares with us in this interview not only the amazing lessons learned during her life, but how she navigated the rapids of a difficult and challenging childhood transposed with the amazing wilderness adventure that she took with her family, which ended up being one of the most powerful journeys, not only through the wilderness, but through her childhood as well, healing that very wounded part of her. And as she shares this experience with us, it helps to heal us all. This is a spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Thank you so much, Irene, for being here and being a guest on The Spark. I'm just delighted to have you. Oh, it is such a thrill to be here. I I am such a fan of your interview style, the people that you have on. I feel just beside myself to be here with you today. Thank you. You know, I, I have to tell you, your book has just moved me. Your your style of writing, Irene, is just so amazing. I, it's it's a blend between poetry and just your your beautiful writing style, which really touched my heart. Oh, thank you, thank you. Truly, and and the book we're going to be talking about today is Irene's new book, Risking the Rapids: How My Wilderness Adventure Healed My Childhood. As Thank I said, you. you know, first of all, your your book really moved me. You know, you take us on this personal journey, not just on the river itself, but back through the very turbulent, sometimes beautiful river of your childhood. It's a deeply moving book on healing oh, childhood wounds. You. Tell us a little bit about how your adventure on the river mirrored your own life. Well, it was interesting, Stephanie. I didn't originally set out to go on this wilderness journey. It was a response to, uh, I I grew up in a large family, many, many siblings, six siblings. And uh, my father was a television personality. My mother was a a rather sort of icy, but social person. There were rivers of martinis in our upbringing. And, you know, there was some bullying that went on with an older brother. And there were we all had a constellation of the issues in this household. And when the older, one of the older brothers died in, this was in 2014. So at the time I was 62 and my, my younger brother said to me and to my sister at the memorial service, would you be interested in going into the back country Montana's Bob Marshall Wilderness. It's the most remote place in the lower 48 states. And he said, would you, do you want to come on a float trip with me? And this is a brother who ha- goes back into the backcountry every year, has done it for 45 years. It's something I never had done. I camped for, you know, a, a Girl Scout overnight. I had, uh, you know, floated down the Delaware River uh, one Sunday afternoon on an inner tube, but I had never done anything like this. And I think, 
That's an interesting thing in our lives when when we're approaching something risky and it's scary but thrilling and there's very much a part of you that wants to do it. Well, I thought, let's just do this because the thing that happens at a memorial service is it's not only that you remember the beloved person, but you also remember the ticking clock that we all have. So I filled with energy to do this trip with my beloved younger sister, these nephews, my brother, and it was supposed to be this gentle float trip down the South Fork of the Flathead River. And unbeknownst to even the most experienced hands, there'd been a huge snowpack that year, which made the river much higher and made the river much faster. And it made the river much, the the whole trip was a lot more complicated than anybody, even the old hands anticipated. But what was interesting was that being out in the wilderness with these people, it, it was an immensely bonding experience, certainly. And how was it like my childhood? Well, the thing is, and this happens to us all in childhood, uh, we're at our most vulnerable in childhood. And there's things come at us, completely unpredictable things, things we have no control over. And we have to learn, we have to dodge, we have to do the best that we can in these sort of continually emergency situations. And so the river trip was very much like that. And I saw this kind of familiar arrhythmic quality, unpredictable quality to life, and this immense vulnerability. So it seemed when I came back that there was that incredible similarity between these two these two experiences and that they were compatible in terms of telling a story. I think that it's so highlighted in the way that you're talking about. It's like as we have to navigate through life that just like the river and all of a sudden these, you know, huge emerging rapids or I think Mm -hmm. these huge challenges that we have to face, we're not always prepared and then they come (laughs) upon us. And so working together and having, I I love kind of that analogy as well, working together, all helping each other stay afloat, even when, you know, we're faced with these scary challenges that seem like they might upend our boat or upend our life. Yeah. Yep. And, and and the thing is, you do get tossed out. We got tossed out. Yes, of the we got you know, but the, we find a way to get back in. We uh, and especially for people who care with people who care about us, they're going to help. As people ask me what the hardest thing was on that trip, and there were many challenges, but the very hardest thing was to see the people I love at risk and feel like I couldn't do anything about it or I couldn't get to them or to see the, you know, a big slash on my brother's leg. That was hard to, to experience, but we do get through these things. We do. And and again, I, I, I hear the parallel then in your own personal story of how at times mm-hmm. it does, it's, it's hard as we're going through those situations ourselves, And it's also so painful mm-hmm. and difficult when we're watching those people that we love trying to go yes. through those things and not always knowing how we can reach out and how we can help them and sometimes yeah. questioning our ability to. So the book begins, as you said, with the loss of your brother, Skip, which prompted this unlikely family raft trip. And you interweave John's story throughout the book. How did John's mm-hmm. personal journey impact your own? Well, uh, he was a very brilliant person. Um, he was he was a genius, uh, and yet he was someone who had 
no social skills. And he was extremely frustrated by this. And his frustration was something he often took out on me physically or uh, in the later years, kind of emotionally. And that was a very difficult thing. At the age of five, I was saying to my mom, I'm going to put up my dukes. And if he, if he tries to get me, I'm going to, I'm going to lay him flat. And, uh, you know, at the age of five, that's a really interesting thing to feel already. But the thing was, I was not even aware of the depth of the fear that I had for this Again, immensely talented, immensely brilliant. He he became a classical guitarist. As a matter of fact, our our most wonderful times together were when he was playing guitar and I would be singing harmony with him. But I was not fully aware of how afraid I was of him until until he actually passed away. And I was entrusted with the task of helping uh, other siblings clean up his place. And I was, I found myself really resentful of that. And I found myself really angry about having to do that. And, and then I realized it was all based in this fear that I'd grown up with, with him. So he, he was a, a very important part of my development. I had to really learn to be myself and assert myself as best I could as a young person. But he, and he truly did affect all of us. He is someone whom I realized later in those days, we didn't have such diagnoses. But if you look at, you know, he had a, a great deal of difficulty with the social piece and with the emotional expression outside of his guitar. You realize, ah, I read a book about Asperger's and I thought, oh, I think he was probably on that spectrum. And I was able to speak with him about this before he died. I said, you know, I read this book and it sounded a little bit like what might have gone on for you. And he said he had often wondered himself if that had been the case. So I'm not the only person in our large family who was affected by him. But he he certainly had a, a great deal to do with the experiences that we all shared emotionally. I think you bring to light truly, I, I think, an important piece, which is that there are beautiful as well as these very challenging, difficult moments with a relationship with anyone and that no one's, you know, no one is all good or quote unquote all bad, that we we have these mixed experiences and the challenge then of dealing with John and what sounds like was undiagnosed because it wasn't known at that time. You know, I wonder how do you imagine that would have changed things if people would have understood, if he would have understood today's huh. modern diagnoses, what that really was that he was dealing with? Well, that is such a good question, Stephanie, because what a diagnosis does is it helps remove the judgment. It helps remove, because all we were doing was getting mad at him because he wasn't paying attention to it, didn't really get it. And this is, this is where the wilderness comes in again, because in the wilderness, we can get mad that the trail is a crappy trail, or we can get upset that we should have stopped back there. Why didn't we stop back there? We can get mad that it's raining and pouring and we're being pelted by hail. However, you realize that's really not a helpful thing. You know, you're, you're entitled to feel it. You're entitled to get that angry with your other family members. It doesn't exactly help. So you learn to let go. Uh, and that was one of the great lessons of the wilderness. You just let go of the resentment and the anger and you go, okay. And so in the same way, 
we can reach an understanding with our damaged family members or our, our, our family members who are suffering with incredible challenges. We can reach a point where we say, oh, that's why my mom was like that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize the incredible challenge that she had as a child. That's why she couldn't enjoy her children the way other people did. That's why my dad uh, was dealing with her depression. So this is why he might have had a few extra martinis. And I think that's part of the longer we float on our river of life and the longer we navigate the rapids that come at us, the bigger our perspective can be. And again, that's something that I'm very grateful to the wilderness for, because it does give you an incredible sense of perspective. It's not just the perspective between you and the people you're with, but it also offers companionship of all living beings. So you get a very wide view of the world and it, and it allows space for a whole lot more love to come coursing through us. A beautiful piece of what you just said was this whole acceptance piece and where we let go the non-judgment yeah. because whether it's like you said, the rainstorm or the hailstorm, whatever conditions come up in the wilderness, mm -hmm. it doesn't serve us to be angry or to hold <laughs> on to resentment that it's windy or that it's raining. And as we accept those things in nature, what a beautiful thing as I'm transferring that over to accepting life and whatever comes mm -hmm. at us, whatever conditions there are. And that as we mm -hmm. go with the acceptance, like the flow of the river of life, knowing that there mm -hmm. are going to be for all of us, there's going to be rapids and challenges and hardships that not resisting and not coming at it with anger, that only reinforces the negativity of the experience instead of accepting, okay, this is what is. How do we navigate this yes. together? Yes. Which is also, it's not to say that we don't allow ourselves to experience anger or fear or resentment. It's good for us to be aware of what we are experiencing, but we don't have to hang on to it. And I think a lot of the challenges that, that we face in our lives have to do with things that we are still holding on to, you know, to a, an anger or a resentment that we might not have even allowed ourselves to be aware of, as I was saying about that older brother of mine. We might not, we might have been too afraid to even think about what we were experiencing. So I, it's important important, I think, to go down the trail of, well, what are the emotions? But to say, oh, okay, I understand now. I was angry because of this, or I was afraid because of this. And then we can let that go. You know, someone was asking me, why is it important for us to heal our childhood wounds? Which is funny, because it never occurred to me that you wouldn't want to. Right. <laughs> but I realized, I realized that what happens when we carry these with us is we then become afraid to look inside. And if we are afraid to look inside of ourselves, we are missing the whole source of universal energy, universal joy that is our birthright. And once we can look in and go like, oh, I can forgive myself for feeling that or for this action that I took, or ah, I can see why I was carrying this seeping pain with me, then we can begin to make use of this powerful, wonderful, universal energy that connects us to every living being, and that then we can follow the prompts, we can follow the impulses to help, to aid, to, to enjoy, to, to laugh with, 
we become a lot freer as, as human beings. We start opening up and becoming a clearer conduit for life to flow through uh, us. Yes, well put, well put. I think one of the things that you talked about that is so important, and I absolutely agree, is acknowledging and knowing what we're feeling. And one of my favorite poems about that is The Guest House from Rumi, who was a 13th century, yes, yes, yes. Sufi poet. And that poem to me has always been so beautiful. And I end up reading it to so many of my clients because that's what it talks about. You know, it says this life is a guest Mm -hmm. house. Every day, a new visitor, some new visitor comes as a meanness, a depression. I'm I'm paraphrasing terribly here, but basically he says, you know, Mm -hmm. welcome and entertain them all. Even if they crowd your home with sorrow, each thing has been coming to clear you out for some new delight. Mm, mm, and, and, oh, and each wonderful. has been sent as a guide from beyond. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's this beautiful poem about exactly that, embracing what shows up and just being with it. And then the important piece, which is letting it go and not letting it take up residence in our body, yes. mind, and soul. Yes. I love that. And another important point that you talk about is this thing of so often – as a therapist, when I do work with people and we're going back over their past, mm-hmm. people can feel like, oh my goodness, I'm dishonoring my mother or father's memory by remembering oh. these things that were painful or hurtful. And I think an important point to make, and you alluded to this, is you can still honor and love them and understand. Mm-hmm. It's for understanding. It's not about yes. blaming. It's saying, oh, this is the mm-hmm. reason that maybe my mom or my dad was like this. And these are the reasons this impacted my childhood or impacted me as an adult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think to go over those pathways, especially in the company of of a wise person like yourself, a therapist therapy was very helpful to me. I think in doing that, that's where we can find forgiveness, which is not to say maybe that's not for everyone. Maybe forgiveness is not for everyone. There are certain experiences that people have that they may say, no, this is, I will never be able to do that. And I'm not saying that is necessary for everyone. I'm just saying I wanted to come to that place for myself. I wanted to, you know, the book started as sort of family CSI. Oh, well, this brother had this problem and this brother had this and my sister had that and there was drinking and there was that. And what happened? Why? Why? And, and that was the original impulse behind the book. And of course, the answers are not what we think they are. And we all are born into families, I believe, that help develop us spiritually and that we are in particular places at particular times to learn the lessons that we need to know. So I'm definitely grateful that I was able to take these lessons and, and again, move on from them. <laughs> that's, that's the other great thing about the wilderness is like you go, the river, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. And that's a great um, metaphor for our own energy too, I think. You know, I wanted to ask you about, because your own spiritual journey, I think is important in this. And you write about the dualism mm-hmm. of the messages you received from your Catholic upbringing. You talked about some of the messages that were the Catholic expectations that were placed Mm -hmm. upon you, this dualism of make us proud, but don't be proud. It's a sin. Mm -hmm. Be good, something you must try to be, not something that you are. 
ignore your body. It pulls you into mm-hmm. sin and keeps you from sainthood. If you can't feel good, feel guilty. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you move from that upbringing and find your own spiritual path? Well, it's. I think there's this part of all of us that is the intuitive knowing. And I tried out those beliefs and they didn't work for me. They didn't, they didn't work for me. I found myself really unhappy. And I think that's a good indicator to us. If our beliefs are not making us happy, I thought, well, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm right or wrong about this. I just may be wrong, but I'm going to try out the idea that we create our reality, that reality is not separate from us, but comes that what we see as reality has to do with what we're believing. And if we play around with our beliefs, just like to say, all right, well, what if I believed that I was essentially good? So I started to play with ideas. All right. If I create my reality, I'd like to have a singing voice. That was one of the first things when I was trying out these ideas. And lo and behold, the thing about creating our reality is you put the thing out there and you maybe five minutes a day behave as though that reality is true, but then you let it go. You're not always planting the seeds and then pulling them up to look at the roots and see if they're growing. That doesn't allow them to grow. But so I, I planted that little seed for myself. I was like, well, all right, I want to sing English, which sounds rather outrageous. And I moved somewhere and I went to a piece of forest and I had a wonderful, wonderful time singing in the forest. And I would go back out to the forest and sing at the top of my lungs because no one could hear me. And after a time, I realized, oh, my gosh, I have actually developed a singing voice because I was getting enough oxygen. I was getting enough freedom. So that's such a small thing. But when we take that idea and say, I'd like to create the reality where I'm at peace with my upbringing. I'd like to create a reality where I can take a risk and be proud of the risk even though the risk may be a larger risk than I, than I ever anticipated, then I think we find that's where our spiritual growth lies. Hey friends, this is Charles with NOCO FM, the podcast network and streaming radio station dedicated to creating diverse shows just like this one and the numerous others that we help produce. We hope you'll consider becoming a supporter on Patreon, which helps us pay our hosts, produce more shows, and allows us to give back to nonprofits in Northern Colorado. Not only do you become part of our community, but giving also gets you access to an incredible selection of exclusive content from all of our creators, starting at just $2 a month. To get started now, just visit noco.fm slash patron and sign up. Once again, that's N-O-C-O dot F-M slash patron. Hope you have a fantastic start to 2019. We've got some big things coming your way. Now, back to the show.
when I found these other beliefs too limiting for me to expand myself, then I went, okay, time to, time to begin looking for alternative viewpoints. You know, this is so serendipitous. Right before this interview, I was reading an article in Psychology Today about exactly what we're speaking about, what you're talking about. Wow. Literally, how to change the inner critic voice is what the article was about. Wow. Uh-huh. And I That's had a friend send, send me this article because what it, what it spoke about is exactly what you just said, trying on basically what would it look like if I didn't have this critical voice and instead I could choose this, you know, whatever that yes. would be for you. So what if mm-hmm. instead of being critical of myself, the woman in the article was trying to get into a law firm. And so instead uh-huh. of going, you know, the inner critical voice that says, oh, you can't do it. They're looking at you in the yes. interview like you're a woman that doesn't have enough competency. Instead saying, you know what, how can I imagine myself as that successful person that feels confident? I've quoted this before, trying on this kind of outfit, if you will, of what does it feel mm-hmm. like to be confident? I'm going to try that on and envision mm-hmm. myself as that. And so maybe you practice that for a while and then you try it out in real life. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. if I imagine it for five minutes a day, mm-hmm. what would it be like then if I step into a social situation or an interview like in the article? And yeah. so it, it's really a beautiful thing that we have that power to change, just like you're saying, our beliefs and then our concept of ourself. Through doing Absolutely. exactly what you, you spoke of. It's it's so <laughs> wonderful. And I love the thing too, because of, you know, we, we do grow up with certain beliefs or ideology and that mm-hmm. those, we, we don't have to always hold rigidly to what we were taught at five, at 10, at 15, or at, at 50. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that we oh, can continue absolutely. to evolve and grow and expand our sense of self, our own personal belief system and incorporate those those deeper truths that really resonate within us. I think you are so right, Stephanie. It is a very exciting world that we are living in now because a lot of these ideas are coming. I mean, psychology today is mainstream. And if, if these ideas are finding their way into the mainstream, it's so much better for all of us. We're, there are children now who are being reared to believe in themselves and to believe in the value of the community, and not just in ourselves, but in ourselves as we are connected to the human community, the cellular community of life on earth. And so I think it's when we say, try it out, just try it out. Just pretend that you do create your own reality, prove it to yourself. And whether it's right or not, if it makes you happier, if it makes you more powerful, if it makes you able to fulfill your dreams, I finally gave up the idea of being right. I was very strongly trained to try to be right in our household. And um, that was one of the greatest liberations. But we are now living in a world where that is beginning to change culturally. And each particular tiny impulse that we have to do that, we are not only healing ourselves, we are healing the culture at large. A lot of the issues that we see, we see addiction, we see distraction, all of that. Let's just pull our attention away from the problems and put our attention to what it is we want to create. And the more people 
feel okay about going into themselves and feel that creative basis that floods through us all the time and, and decide, well, I'm going to use that creativity to create a life that I want. The more people do that, those other issues just fall away because this is what we're really seeking, this beautiful inner power that we're all walking around with, that we all share with one another. And I think as we bring out that light, just like you're saying, we not only illuminate our own lives, but we help illuminate others' lives so they can see that within themselves and join mm -hmm. in that collective healing, if you will. Yes, yes. And it's happening now, which is great. <laughs> which is so exciting. I know. I, th that mm -hmm. is one of the things I love thinking about that. I love getting plugged into that. It's not too late. It's happening now. Oh, well, not only is it not too late. I mean, one of the things I'm fond of saying, because remember, I was 62 when I took this wilderness journey. It is never too late to heal. Mm -hmm. And it is never too soon to start. Exactly. So today, right now, can be that moment. Yeah. And I, I find that if people want to either risk looking inside of themselves or, or take a little risk in the external world, you know, risk to me is the thing that connects us with what we want. So it's like a tightrope. But even people who learn the tightrope do not start 100 feet off the ground. <laughs> the the tightrope, I think, starts exactly on the ground. First, you learn to walk the rope, and then they bring it up an inch or two inches. And then, it, so it's a gradual process. And as we choose to do that, we find there are people around. There are people around who will help us. Once we start to take that risk, or once we have that strong impulse to really begin our active period of healing, someone is there. Someone is there to help you. So look around. Who can support you in your desire to heal? Who can support you in your desire to take a risk? Maybe it's not all that serious. Maybe it's just a fun little risk, but you're a little scared of it, you know? Be your full self. That's what we are here for. And we become our full selves as we take those risks. And plug into our safety nets using yes. the, the tightrope analogy. I think that's beautiful. It's <laughs> yes, because we all need our safety nets. Those are our support people. Yeah. Yeah. And we think about taking a risk. We take a calculated risk. We don't necessarily, as I say, go 100 feet in the air. But so the journey that I took to the wilderness, I took with people who had been to the wilderness. Now, interestingly enough, there are times when that doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right. There are times when so much is going on. It's more than the people that you think are knowing what they're doing can handle. And then you deal with that, you know? There's no time, again, there's, a, there's no time to, to resent or to think, oh, this, this should be different. No, you just go, okay, so now I'm going to work this way. <laughs> so now I need to respond as lovingly as I can in this moment. and. Uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. I want to circle back to the book for a moment because there's just mm -hmm. some really important things that oftentimes people are talking to me about adversity or difficulties that they're facing and feeling really stuck mm -hmm. and like they can't overcome it. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you have healed so much from your past. One of the, mm -hmm. the stories that you shared throughout the book was struggling with body concept and accepting yes, yourself. Yes. And oh my goodness, when you spoke of that seventh grade girl that was you and how she mm. felt not normal 
And your mother's truly horrific response to that. Yeah. She threw water at you when you were sharing that you felt, I'm I'm not normal. Mm -hmm. I don't look the same as the other girls. How did you overcome this part of your life and make peace with yourself? Well, it's interesting. When I was five years old, you know, that I was talking about feeling like I had to defend myself from my brother. One of the ways that I took comfort was through food. And that was kind of my main source of comfort for many, 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 many years. I gained uh, up to 200 pounds. So really when I was weeping, saying to my mother, I'm not normal, I was I was saying size 22 was not normal. And she, this was something she couldn't abide. And she felt I was throwing a tantrum like a toddler and she threw cold water in my face, which is what she used to do when I was a toddler. So, but then you learn, okay, well, don't go there for comfort. (laughs) So I turned to food again as I, you know, so, and then that as people who have had as many men and women have had issues with then the body and the compulsive overeating and then the eating disorder and all that, it's a huge struggle As long as you feel you're not worthy, as long as you feel it's going to be so hard, what kind of comfort can I give myself? If it's not food, how will I ever? And again, I I keep going back to one of the greatest sources of healing is realizing that within ourselves, there is, even if I was thinking about the body, the body naturally will tell us when it's full if we haven't stopped paying attention to it because we're so angry at it or we're so ashamed of it. As we face those feelings of, oh, I was, oh this doesn't work, or that, or, I'm no good, I don't deserve, as we take apart those things little by little as we face each one of those emotions and as we educate ourselves and go, well, all right, exercise, that was a helpful piece for me to get because as you mentioned earlier in in my household, that the body was not a thing to be appreciated. The body was a source of sin. The body was a source of distraction from the spiritual life. And so, but but our bodies are alive. We are meant to be as happy as healthy animals are. When we are animals in in so many regards, so all of nature is on our side. So as I began to again look at that and feel that within myself. I began to train myself in a different way, began to train myself that, all right, exercise is something that feels good. So find a way to make it feel good. And then it will. And then so that was a huge difference. Also helped me with depression. Uh, I mean, it is a wonderful, wonderful uh, source of healing for many reasons. So that was a very important part of my journey and loving myself to nourish myself well, to not overnourish myself, to realize, oh my gosh, my hand was reaching for these things because I didn't know how else to comfort myself. Uh, One of the great things that's happened in the last 25 years is we all have a whole lot more choices now. When we are feeling stress, there are so many, we can get to a yoga class or we can turn an app on and meditate There is a wide variety of choices available to us now, which is also one of the things that helped me forgive my parents, because if they were tossing back the martinis, there were not too many other options in those days if if you were feeling stressed. And, you know, nobody was saying, oh, well, you know, just just sit quietly or do yoga nidra or paint or the creative 
the arts are a wonderful, wonderful source of relaxation. And actually learning, learning a practice that helps you relax, that has been one of the single most important things for me is to be able to relax at will. So I can be on a plane, I can fall asleep, I can just go through the steps of relaxing various parts of the body and then relax and then being able to sleep for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. If we're if it's a long flight, I can sleep through the flight. So but again, I couldn't do that while I was saying, oh, it's difficult for me to fall asleep on a plane. So we have to listen to what it is we're telling ourselves about our experience. And at every moment, go, would I like this to be a different way? Well, I can have it a different way. How can I support myself in learning how to sleep on a plane? Well, I can learn that. I can learn to walk a tightrope. I can learn all of these things. So we have that capacity within us constantly. And you have tapped into it. And it's so wonderful to see. I I wish people could see your (laughs) illuminated face and just truly how you are living this. Oh, thank you. It is joy. It is joy. joy. I see it. (laughs) Yes. So I have a saying that I use with lots of my clients, probably all of my clients, as we talk about how no one gets out of childhood unscathed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important. You've talked so much during our time together about the importance of, of healing our childhood wounds. What do you think you would say is the greatest gift for you after, after this wonderful trip through the wilderness, which more deeply helped you heal hmm. that? But what has the greatest gift been for you? Wow. I think the connectedness now that I feel not only with the family members that were on that journey, but the connectedness that I feel back and forward in time in terms of my parents and in terms of the children my siblings have. There's this beautiful simultaneous awareness now of life in the past and in the future and in this very vivid present moment that we are privileged to experience. And so being with people I love in this astonishingly splendid scary place called the wilderness was probably the greatest gift because I now can carry that with me. I carry that with me. And when we heal, I think when we heal with our own families, then we feel ourselves a part of the family of the human race in a much more active and helpful way. So that to me is, is the gift. And being able to speak about this is for me a very great gift. I thank you, Stephanie. It's this beautiful thing that it's never too late to heal. And mm-hmm. and I used to have a bumper sticker that said, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. <laughs> it's true, because then you go back and you see what was happy. Yeah, I don't mean to say that there was no happiness in my childhood. As you know from the book, there are some very funny things and there are some very heartwarming things. And I, one thing I will always be grateful to my birth family for is the love of words that I grew up with. That was something that was deeply ingrained in us. And so if I had not had that, I would not have been able to speak what has happened. And I I relish that. I think that part of the, as we say, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. As I say that, I think for me, the, the deeper meaning too, is that as we go back and heal our childhood, we can see some of those difficult times as well as the wonderful times that it all was a gift. 
It absolutely was. I mean, if I hadn't had the issues that I had with body image and food and all of that and having to travel that road of self-hatred to a road of self-acceptance and self-love, if I hadn't had that, I would be so much more lacking in compassion. My childhood really taught me inside out compassion. And that is one of the greatest gifts we have as human beings. So that is how then you go, yes, I did have a happy childhood because I learned what I was supposed to learn in this lifetime. In the end of your book, you wrote, family plunges us into purpose. How did it define Mm. purpose for your life? Well, I feel our purpose is to learn to love ourselves and one another and this very precious gift of physical life. I don't think it's our only chance. I don't think it's our only experience, but it is so precious to be in a human body, to be alive, that it is our purpose to be here, to be fully alive. And family does that. (laughs) Family does it and wilderness does it. (laughs) Both push us to the end of our being at times. Yes, which of course expands us. Yeah, I often say our growth edge is never comfortable. It's, you know, as we push ourselves sometimes to those limits, and it's the only mm-hmm. game in town. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Either we choose to participate, or we live that half-life that really eats us from the inside out. You know, people say, oh, I don't know whether I should take this risk. I was talking to somebody the other day, and her husband was trying to decide whether he was going to, he'd been in the same job 35 years, he was 55, he had enough money to retire. But he was kind of afraid to retire. She said, but I know he wants to do some other things. And I said, well, you know, he thinks that's risky. But the truth is, he's already risking. It may not be the risk he wants. What he's risking is, gosh, he could get out at 65 and find himself not being able to do the job that he wants to do. Or he could find himself muscled out. Companies are doing that now sometimes to older people saying, well, we don't want to pay the whole. So I would also encourage people to, to look at their lives and go, what risk am I running now that I don't even know that I'm running? Am I risking that I'm never really going to know who I am or that I'm, am I risking that I just have to live halfway and decide if that's a risk you want to run? Because that's an option. But I think there might be a, a risk that's more appealing. The same challenge is sort of pick your heart, you know, it's hard to not feel you're growing. It's hard to grow. Okay, pick your heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And even though I think like you're saying, the, the risk can be difficult. It's such a much different, quote unquote, hard than yeah, living with yeah. that inner turmoil that says we're not being true to ourselves And we're not being true to our life's purpose that wants to be expressed through us. Right, right. And you find that there's all this extra energy that, you know, when you're going in the direction that you really would like to go, you do have extra energy. You do have this because this is your this is yourself propelling yourself to the person that you want to be. It will be there. It will be there. People will be there to help. Your own inner self wants to see you grow. It's what we're here for. Take that risk. Thank you so much, Irene. As we wrap up, is there any other essential message you want to make sure? I I think just that thing about it's never too late to heal and it's never too soon to start. Mm
in a while, you meet someone who absolutely resonates with your soul. Irene O'Garden was one of those people to me. She came out of a family where there was, like all of our families, dysfunction. In her particular case, with alcoholism and dealing with some abuse, the way that she transcended the adversities in her childhood were so inspirational to me. I think the beautiful metaphor that she shared with us about navigating the rapids through life where we are going to come up against difficulties and hard times, there are going to be things that we have to face. And as we work together to navigate through those challenges, we're able to handle them so much more easily. Just like the tightrope analogy that she shared. If we build our safety net and then slowly take these calculated risks and we go for our dreams, then we really do begin to create a more fulfilling life, a happier sense of self and more deeply live our purpose. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.
This has been a production of NOCO FM.